Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the LSE, to those who have come from uh, outside. Uh, for those of you who are in the school, I hope your exam went well this afternoon um, and that you didn't leave it uh, early in order to come to this. Um, Mohammed says he will give you tips that will be helpful uh, in any of your finance exams tomorrow. Um, so this will not be a wasted, a wasted hour uh, for you. Um, I'm delighted to uh, introduce him, and I'm not going to spend much of our time since we have a fairly tight uh, schedule today um, in expanding and doing an expansive introduction. You all know um, who he is. Um, he was born originally in Chittagong, which was, of course, at that time part of the British Empire. So we are proud to claim him. Um, oh, you just quite a bit. Eh? <laughs> As a British citizen, really, um, <laughs> which, uh, which makes me feel quite, quite proud, actually, um, if, even if it doesn't make him feel so proud, but there we are. Uh, but of Thank course, uh, won the Nobel Prize in 2006 uh, for all his work <clears throat> on microcredit, which he did at Vanderbilt in the US and also at Chittagong University in Bangladesh, and is here uh, to launch his new book, Building Social Business, The New Kind of Capitalism That Serves Humanity's Most Pressing Needs. It is, of course, outside, and you'll all be buying one uh, for him to sign uh, a bit later on. Uh, but I'm not going to do what it's people sometimes very irritatingly do, which is to summarize uh, a book which someone's about to talk about. Um, so I will, without further ado, uh, invite you to give an LSE welcome to Mohammed Yunus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be back again. And I didn't know that I'm competing with your exams. I hope I'll not be the excuse for uh, not doing well or something like that. Uh, I'll be brief. I'll just go over some of the things you are, some of you are familiar with, with the Grameen Bank. And then we moved on to many other things. Uh, it's not a new thing. We did it uh, right from the beginning uh, in Grameen Bank. We moved into many other kind of activities for us in healthcare, in technology, in agriculture, in fisheries, and many, many things. Uh, <clears throat> and in the process, we created a lot of companies, some 40 companies or something like that. And some of them are pretty big companies, uh, like Grameen Phone is a big company, it's a nationwide company. And people ask me, uh, you must be a very rich man. I said, no, I'm not a rich man. Uh, so you own so many companies. I said, no, I don't own those companies. But you created those companies. I said, yes, I created those companies. Then why do you create companies if you're not owning them? That became a question for me too. Why did I do that? And I realized that uh, this is something different than people create company for. Uh, then I realized that whenever I see a problem, I create a company to solve it. And that became a habit with me. Every time I see a problem, I create a company. Some of them became successful companies, some of them not so successful, but my reaction always as a company. Then they thought maybe this is a new kind of company which doesn't exist. 
And that's what led me to the idea of social business that I'll be talking to you about. On the microcredit front, uh, Grameen continues to work in Bangladesh, and now we got involved in many other countries directly working in those countries, in Asia, in Latin America, in Europe also. One interesting thing happened that we did in 2008, in January. We started a program called Grameen America in the United States. This after a long debate. There are people who are debating that it cannot be done. People in the United States are so different. Uh, something which works in Bangladesh, of course, is not going to work here. I always insisted that it will work everywhere because it's a need of the people. And the differences that we talk about are so thin. I, I keep saying that 98% of people in the human beings are about similarities. 2% is about dissimilarity. But we blow up the dissimilarity in so many ways as if everything is all us, about us is dissimilarity. I said, that's where we go wrong. So anyway, we were challenged into doing it and started doing it in uh, uh, Jackson Heights in Queens in New York in January. And we didn't time it 2008. We didn't choose 2008 to coincide with the financial crisis. We are not engineers of that, please. <laughs> Don't blame us for that. But by, that, by the time we continued, later in the year, the financial crisis came. And the whole city was shaken, the whole world was shaken. And I looked at it in a very amazing way. Microcredit program, Grameen America was flourishing. Everybody loves it, everybody's paying back, everybody's taking tiny loans. On the other side of the street, big banks were collapsing, melting away. So I, I was telling to a journalist, I said, look at this scene now. A bank which has no collateral, no lawyers, no guarantees, nothing. It continues, flourishes. On the other side, all the big lawyers, all the big collaterals is melting away. I said, there is some lesson to it. So that lesson I've always been raising with everybody. I said, look, the financial crisis is something that we all worry about. We try to get out of it. But don't rush out of it. Because people are so eager to rush out of it. The, when is this crisis going to come to an end? I said, by rushing out of it, we'll be doing a stupid thing. Because this crisis is an opportunity. The crisis is a wake-up call. We must listen to this wake-up call. The wake-up call is there is something wrong in our system. We must fix it first before we get back to the normalcy. We are, we are kind of uh, doing some patchwork to go back to the normalcy. I said, if you go back to the normalcy, this will take us to the same old crisis in a much bigger way next than we have it now. So why can't we fix it first? And it's a good time because when system doesn't work, this is a good time to fix. If system works, nobody wants to touch it. So we want to do that. And what should it be? And then again, another question came in the USA. Uh, we just opened the third branch in Manhattan. First one was uh, in Queens. Second one was Brooklyn, second branch. Third branch, I just, in this trip, I opened the third branch in Manhattan, in Harlem. And it is expanding. People from Omaha, they became so interested, they said, well, we would like to invite you to come and start a pro uh, branch in Omaha. So eight months back, we started a branch in Omaha, Nebraska. And this year, we are going to open a branch in uh, um, Washington, D.C., another one in San Francisco. 
So all these things have been arranged. In this opening part in uh, Manhattan, a journalist asked, well, you are expanding very well within the New York City. What do you see as an objective in this city that you are expanding, you are microcredit, lending money to these women, and they are, 50 of them were present in the ceremony, opening ceremony. So they are very happy with that. What is it that you look forward to? I said, look, if uh, our program, microcredit program, spreads all over New York City, ultimately what we would like to see, this city, New York City, become the first city in the whole of the United States which doesn't have any payday loans anymore. I don't know if you're familiar with the payday loans. It's a terrible thing everywhere in the United States, wherever you go, interest rate is 500%, 1,000%, 1,500%. It's a trillion dollar business, it goes on, right in front of the nose of everybody. And you open a newspaper, you see ad in that, you come, borrow any money, no question asked, we give you money. You tune into any television, they will tell you that we are here, payday loans, come and borrow money from us. It flourishes. Nobody does anything about it. I said, if we are successful, we can guarantee you there will be no payday loans left in this city. And if we are successful, there will be no check cashing companies in New York City. I don't know whether <coughs> you are familiar with the check cashing company too. In the USA, you cannot cash your check if you belong to a lower income level because no bank will let you open an account. So if you get your check, monthly salary, you go to a pseudo company, call themselves check cashing company. They will take a chunk of your money and give you the rest. That's a check cashing company. And it flourishes everywhere, all over the United States. And of course, the pawn shops. I said there will be no pawn shops in New York City if uh, Grameen program works. So you don't notice those things, existence of that, but people suffer from it. Why can't you fix that up? It's a question of addressing this issue and getting it done. So when we talk about poverty and, uh, and the problems created around poverty, I always insisted that poverty is not created by the poor people. Today in Grameen Bank we see it uh, very vividly. Uh, not only we have over 8 million borrowers, mostly women, 97% women, we also give uh, encouragement to the children of Grameen families to go to school. So over years we succeeded in having them in school. And then when the first batch of students start coming to the higher education, then we dawned on me they cannot continue in higher education because it's expensive. Up to high school is free, government provides all the education uh, free so that you don't have to spend money. But the moment you come to higher education, it becomes expensive. Parents cannot support it anymore. We said, okay, Grameen Bank will do that. We'll give you all the loans, education loans, so that you can take care of, care of tuition, maintenance, everything. So thousands of students are into that. And they are <clears throat> in medical schools, engineering schools, universities, everywhere. When you see these students in their village with their mother, uh, standing next to each other, uh, young girls standing next to her, and you ask her, what do you do? She said, I'm a doctor. I practice in the nearest town now that you, are he you came here. So I came here to see you. I never met you before. So I thought, I will not miss this opportunity. So you look at the mother, you look at the daughter. They look alike. One is a little older and is younger. It comes to your mind. Her mother could have been a doctor too. There is nothing wrong with the mother. Simply society never gave her a chance 
to go to school, she remained an illiterate person. Most of our borrowers are illiterate. It's no fault of their own. But their second generation are educated. Some of them are highly educated now. So seeing them, you are convinced that there's nothing missing in the poor people which makes them, poverty, uh, makes them poor. It is something missing in the society which makes them poor. So what is it that's missing in the society? What is it that we made mistake in the society, in the structure of the society which made it happen? And I said, in the society, institutions that we built are wrongly built. And I gave the example which I'm familiar with, banking institution as an example. Look at the banks. They do not lend money to enormous number of people in the world. Any good explanation? No. And the crisis has shown that their program seemed to be more stable than the pro program of the, uh, the conventional banks. When I first lent money and uh, got excited about it, went to the bank in the village in 1976 to ask them to lend money to the poor people, they refused. They said pe poor people are not creditworthy. They cannot lend money to the poor people. And I was recollecting that in the USA. I said, now we have an interesting situation. Poor people are paying back. Their, their program is uh, stable, continuing, and the other program is collapsing. I hope, I wish, somebody raised the question now, who is creditworthy? Because this provides a very good situation. So that question still remains valid. Who is creditworthy? So why can't we just create an institution to s serve everybody rather than just a privileged few? And that is one important change that we have to make when we are making the changes during the crisis period to redesign the system. This is one system that we have to change. We have to make the banking system an inclusive system. The other question comes about the concept, concept of business. That's why I was giving the example of all, all the companies that I created. That led to this idea. The, who said that business means business to make money alone? Because today in our economic theory, that's all we get. If you are in business, you have to make money. And economists tell you that the maximization profit solves all our problem, resource allocation and everything else. Didn't economists misinterpret human beings by saying that? Are human beings all a single dimensional being? All they do in their business life is make money for, for themselves and nothing else? Is this what the fate of the human beings are? I said, I don't feel that this is a very comforting kind of thought that uh, human beings, all they do is make money. I said, economists took one aspect of human being, selfishness, and build the whole theory of business on top of it, that this is what human beings do. I said, that's a very one-sided, very fragmented kind of view of the human beings. Because first of all, human beings are not one-dimensional beings, to be sure. They are multi-dimensional beings. Selfishness is one of those dimensions. But there are other dimensions, like selflessness, for example. I'm not saying some people are selfish and some people are selfless. I'm saying every human beings have both elements into them, selfishness and selflessness, and many other dimensions to each one of us. But the economists forgot all those things. Pick one only and build the whole theory out of it. And as a result, we created all our problems. If you go to the root of it, probably this is the most 
overriding reasons why we have created the problems that we have created ourselves. I said, why don't we create a business on top, on the basis of the selflessness? In a selfish business, profit maximizing business, everything is for me, nothing for others. That's the basic principle. I said, in a selfless business, everything is for others, nothing for me. It's a parallelly, parallel business, but does in the two different directions. Oh, people say, oh, you are wrong because people will not get involved with something which, where they don't make money. People enjoy making money. I said, I do not accept that. People enjoy making money, but that's not the only enjoyment people have. Touching other people's life is also an enjoyment. Until you have done that, you cannot compare it. And my feeling is, if you do the other thing, if you touch other people's life, it is so much enjoyable, they probably will feel more inclined to doing uh, that than making money for yourself. So anyway, it has to be demonstrated, it has to be seen. So I'm suggesting that this is a new kind of business based on selflessness, is a non-loss, non-dividend company with a social objective. The social business is a business to solve problems not for making money for oneself. It returns the investment money. If I put one million pounds into that business, over years I'll get my one million pounds back. But I will never take any dividend out of this company because that was not the intention of creating that company. Intention was to solve a specific problem. And we started creating those companies in Bangladesh. It's very specifically designed as a social business. But nobody paid any attention because who cares what happens in Bangladesh. But the, the moment we started doing business with a big company, for example, the first one was Danone. We created a Grameen Danone company in Bangladesh as a social business. What does it do? It produces yogurt, but for a specific reason. Bangladesh has millions of children. Bangladesh's total population is about 150 million. So you imagine how many children we have. Half the children of Bangladesh are malnourished. Most of them are severely malnourished. So if you say malnourishment is not just a statement of their health situation, it's also a statement of the nation. Because if you are malnourished, your growth is stunted. You cannot grow as, as regularly as you would if you are fully nourished. And your mental development gets stunted. So you create a big obstacle for your whole nation because you start with the wrong way. Many attempts in the past have been taken to improve the nutrition situation, but hardly it has made the impact that it should. So we thought, why don't we create our own effort into it? So we created this company. We put all the micronutrients which are missing in the children, vitamin, iron, zinc, iodine, into the yogurt, and then sell it to the children make it very cheap so that everybody can afford it. And children love it. It's a delicious yogurt and they like to eat it. If a child eats two cups of this yogurt within a week and continues such rate of consumption of this yogurt over eight and nine months, the child regains all the micronutrients, becomes a healthy, playful child. So you have solved a problem. If it happens to be so, but in a business way, they are paying, company gets us money back, and company continues to work, so 
that's a social business and the owners don't want to take any profit out of it because that's the whole purpose of it. If this yogurt company was a profit making company, at the end of the year uh, we would be asking our CEO how much money we made this year and whatever amount he says, oh we should have done better than that. <laughs> Why don't we try to make sure next year we make more, more money. That's his usual style of profit-making companies. But as a social business company, what do we ask our CEO at the end of the year? We ask our, ask our CEO at the end of the year, how many children got out of the malnutrition this year? Why can't you do better than that? What is it needed to improve our performance so that we can take more children and get more children out of malnutrition? Because that is the objective of the company. So we have created in the series of such companies like Grameen Biolia, Grameen BASF, BASF is a German company, is a, one of the largest chemical companies in the world. We created Grameen BASF company in Bangladesh to produce mosquito nets. It's a treated mosquito net, I'm sure many of you are familiar. Uh, Mosquito-borne diseases like malaria, dengue and other diseases. But this is a special kind of mosquito. Uh, mosquito net. If you use it, mosquito population declines because mosquitoes get killed by touching this mosquito net. So we make it very cheap so that everybody can afford it. Nobody has to sleep without the net. And it saves them from the mosqui mosquitoes and the dengue and the other malaria and killer diseases that we have. And we created other company like uh, one company we created is Grameen Adidas. Uh, Adi, the CEO of Adidas invited me to come and visit them in uh, Germany and he asked the question we'd like to do a social business with you what kind of business we can do to, to make it a social business I said well you can start with a mission statement for your company she said like what this is something like this nobody in the world should go without shoes as a shoe company this is our responsibility to produce shoes affordable to even to the poorest person. So he looks at me, he says, this is a big thing. <laughs> I said, Adidas is a big thing too. <laughs> <laughs> Why should Adidas think small thing? So anyway, he took it seriously. He's called all his senior colleagues, spent about three hours talking to them while I was given a guided tour of the complex with the museum and all this <laughs> so that they can debate it out whether they can take that challenge saying that nobody in the world should go without shoes and it is their responsibility as a shoe company to make it happen. So during the lunch time we got back again so he, CEO sitting next to me he said my colleagues asked me to ask you how cheap the shoe must be <laughs> to be affordable to the poorest people. I said, look, I'm not a shoemaker. I don't know anything. <laughs> I just talk about it. I said, maybe. <laughs> I said, maybe, just a starting point, maybe it should be under one euro. <laughs> so he looks at me again. He said, you are very tough. <laughs> I said, I'm not tough. The business is tough. <laughs> and they spent few hours again. And in the evening, they came and met me, all of them came and met me. He said, we accept your challenge, we'll do it. So since then, they have been working very hard in Bangladesh, sending their experts and designers and surveyors to find out what kind of shoes people would like. 
uh, what kind of shoes they ever bought in their life, uh, how much did they pay, what is it that they like about it, what it is they didn't like about it, all kinds of business questions. And finally, they designed those shoes. And now next month, they are bringing 10,000 pairs of those shoes, the newly designed, to test marketing to see what people have to say about about the price, about the quality, about the look and all that stuff. After they get the feedback, they will redesign it and then set up a plant in Bangladesh to produce those shoes to meet that challenge. Why shoes? What is the, what is this uh, got to do with social business? Shoe is not here as a case of fashion. It's not a sh case of comforts. It's a serious case of health. Many of our diseases, particularly parasitic diseases, get into the body through the skin of our feet, particularly children and women who spend a lot of time barefoot. So they get attacked by this. And you'll see bloated stomachs of the children or adults, knowing that this is filled with hookworms and all kinds of parasites. So if you can wear shoes, if you can let people wear shoes, this problem will be resolved. So this is our intention. So the, the, the Gramin Danone was a health issue. Uh, Gramin Veolia, we, we produce water, that's a health issue. Gramin Adidas is a health issue. Gramin BSF is a health issue. So we are creating a lot of these healthcare programs. And then another one that we are doing is uh, uh, diagnostic tools. Because we were, no matter what we do, healthcare doesn't reach out to the poor people, reach out to, reach out to the rural people. So always they are left to the quarks, left to the kind of people who tell you this is medicine actually is harming your health rather than benefiting your health. So we thought we should create social business to bring healthcare to the people. So we're concentrating on the diagnostic tools because we cannot keep the doctors in the village. We tried in the past to give healthcare in the villages. Big problem came, doctors just do not live there. We hire them, give them good salary, they stay there three months, four months, five months, disappear. They don't want to work. They go back to the Dhaka, which is the capital city of the country. So we thought, forget about doctors. Let's create a healthcare system which will be done through a distant doctor, not a doctor at the village level. And technology helps us. Today's technology is so powerful, it can redesign the entire society in a brand new way. And we are in the Middle, in the, just the beginning phase of it. So we said, why don't we use technology? So we, are, we went to the General, General Electric Healthcare Services, said, look, your equipments are all too expensive, too complicated. You designed it to impress the patients, rich patients, so that they, they can pay you a lot in their, uh, you can charge them a lot. Otherwise, this whole, whole machine that you built could be done in a shoebox. Because after all, these are nothing but chips. All you have to do is to create the right kind of chips and you got it done. So we said, why don't you help work with us to design simple diagnostic tools which we can carry at home so that healthcare should be delivered at home, not at the clinic. So we want to bring it back. So we created ultrasonograph to begin with because we are focusing on the pregnant mothers to save their life. Maternal death is still very high. So we want to make sure. So what we do, a girl is trained in this use of this machine. She will take it to home and take the images of the mother and send these images through mobile phones, which is everywhere in Bangladesh and many other countries, and immediately goes to the city with the desk of the expert 
and he looks at it or she looks at it and, and picks up the phone, talks to the mother, oh, your child looks good, no problem, uh, take care of yourself, etc., etc. Or, oh, we would like to come back to you, we, ha we have something very specific to talk about, uh, don't worry, we'll uh, take care of you, meaning she has a problem. So here, the technology does this whole thing. You don't, all we are trying to do is to identify, to screen those difficult pregnancies. Once we can screen the difficult pregnancies, we can focus on them, how to save their life from now on. So this is, again, a social business we are trying to build up. So a series of social businesses can be built to address the problem. Wherever we have a problem, all we have to do, create our, come in a creative way to design that social business to solve the problem. And then it, is, it becomes a power in us as an individual person. We can solve the problem. We don't have to wait for the government to solve it. We don't have to wait for the international agencies to come and solve it, which they continue to do so. We're not going to interfere with their work. But we citizens, we individuals, are also capable people. If one individual wants to do that, he can do anything he wants. Each of us has the capacity to change the world. Simply, we have to decide to use that capacity. If you don't use that capacity, it will not be used. It will, be, it will remain un, uh, unutilized for life. Nobody will ever know that you had that capacity. But if you want to make that capacity utilized, you'll see what you can do. You can change, really change the world. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, I think you may have sold one or two books uh, during, that, uh, during that speech. Okay. Um, uh, I'd like to throw it open um, straight away because we don't have a huge amount of time and um, the microphones will come to you and you caught my eye first. Yes, woman in the middle of the second row from the back, if you could give your name. Rafaela Bellanca, head on the Household Energy Network. Um, energy is such an important thing. Uh, without uh, thinking about energy, it's difficult to think about food security and uh, water purification and uh, education and health and all the rest. Um, yet, energy is not uh, among the Millennium Development Goals. I know that uh, uh, some of your sister companies uh, do deal with energy as well, and I just wanted to know, um, give you the possibility to yeah. say some words about the importance sure. of energy in poverty reduction. Yeah. It's, it's a very important issue. Uh, right from the beginning, we're trying to address that issue in our own way. Uh, we are not kind of government or anybody, what way we, we thought. We thought we, can, we have the capacity to utilize the solar energy. Bangladesh has enough of solar uh, energy to utilize for generating electricity. So we um, started a company called Gramin Shokti, or Gramin Energy. Uh, pop to popularize solar home system. At that time, people, everybody said, oh, it's so expensive, it will never work. But it worked. Today, we have more than 350,000 solar home systems working. Every month, we sell over 16,000 solar home systems. We can transform the entire country, convert the entire country into solar home system, provided the cost of solar panel goes down a little bit. Today, we pay about $2.75 per watt for the solar panel. If you can bring it down to $1.50, it will make so much sense for everybody to 
switch to solar home system. We also do the uh, biogas, so that is also expanding, biogas plant to pr produce methane gas for cooking and for lighting. And we also um, s produce the improved uh, cooking stock to save the woods because uh, uh, this is saves wood and also uh, it doesn't create any fume because kind of traditional cooking stove that villagers work, uh, it produces a lot of fume and the mother uh, has a, uh, immediately gets into the respiratory diseases. And mother alone is not cooking. Usually mother is carrying a baby in her lap or some little baby is standing next to her while she is cooking. So all of them get the respiratory diseases. This new stove doesn't have that because there's no fume in that. So she feels happy and hopefully this will uh, not get her exposed to the respiratory diseases. But th this is a very, very attractive social business. No matter where you go, you can do it. It's a, it's, it's a thing of the future and we have to do, pay attention to it. And individually we can do that. This is the, again, excitement of it. You don't have to wait for it because it's a business. You can run it as a business. People pay for it. And it's not for making money, it's for addressing the issue that we have. Thank you. Yeah, man in the uh, third row, <coughs> blue shirt, yeah. Thank you very much, Professor Yunus. Um, one of the questions I had was, how would a social business deal with external, uh, external threats, forces, like if a company comes in and tries to uh, sell a product at a lower price than what you have, and then maybe try to drive you out of business, and then raise the price? So then, you know, how, how do you deal with that since you're a social business, you're not a profit-making business? Uh, you mean they'll drive social business out of business? Yeah. Yeah. Is that maybe possible? Maybe try to push your price down and drive you out of business and then put the price up. Yeah. It's a, one is smartness versus another is smartness. Mm -hmm. So you, would, you, would, you have to be smarter than him, that's all. <laughs> and in business, this is how it is. If they're trying to throw you out and then raise the price again, you come back again. Because you're a social business. It's a, there's no reason why you should be sitting there. You come back. You do it because the price is high now. For the time being, you lie low. You come back and do it. Or you come up with a still smarter idea how to make your still cheaper. It's possible. It's all question of mind, nothing else. How to be creative in a situation. And once you use that creativity and the technology, problems get solved. And in so, the book, I've mentioned uh, many of these problems which came in our companies and how we tried to address it. Not that in each case we have succeeded, but how we addressed it, in some cases we solved that problem. A uh, woman here on the uh, fourth row, right at the end there. Thanks. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to LSE. Thank you. Um, it's, my question is a bit more on a personal note. Is um, You've done so much for Bangladesh, and as a Bangladeshi, I really appreciate that. But my question is, why did you first decide to join politics? And then why did you decide to leave? And what advice would you give next generation of Bangladeshis who wants to go back to the country and do something good for the country? Sure. Second one is easy. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> and do something. And, uh, and while you're not there, you can still do something. Because again, th these days, uh, technology doesn't make a difference between whether you live here or live there. You can still do things uh, as effectively as you could have done there. Um, to begin with, you pick a problem that which bugs you a lot in Bangladesh, design a social business to solve that problem. 
if you can design it on paper, that's a big progress because now you have some blueprint of an idea that you can apply, you can solve the problem in Bangladesh. It could be anything, it's poverty or healthcare or housing or disaster or whatever. You just pick it up and say, or women issue and so on, uh, children issue. Uh, about the politics, this was just a passing phase. What happened, we were, going <laughs> we were going through a caretaker government regime, if you recall, uh, and many of our leaders were in jail because of corruption uh, charges, and there's a big vacuum in the country. So people were all coming to me, said, you are the one who can create a new uh, political party, fill this vacuum. So I was very reluctant. I said, that's not me. I, I, I'm not a politician. I don't want to do that. So they were kind of accusing me, protecting myself from politics. So finally, I yielded to their pressure and said, OK, I'll create a political party and join politics. And then I asked them to join this political party, those who were pressing me. And they kept saying, oh, I'm a professor. I'm not supposed to be in politics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm an editor of a newspaper. I shouldn't be joining a politics. Well, I'm a businessman. I shouldn't be joining politics. So at the end, I said, then who, who am I doing the politics for? <laughs> and who am I doing the politics with? I said, no, 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 there are a lot of people who will join you. I said, no, that's not a very <laughs> happy thought. Then I see the corrupt politicians who are afraid of getting into the jail, they started converging to join my political party. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, no, not this one. <laughs> this is enough. So I immediately went to the press. I said, no, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not forming a party. I'm not joining politics. I continue to do what I'm doing. So that's the end of it. It's about two months period within which all these things happen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, woman, just, just uh, three along from there. That's it. <coughs> Um, Professor Yunus, I wonder if you would consider building a social business in this country, and if so, what would it be? I was in uh, Glasgow. That's not this country. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about a foreign country. Right. <laughs> May have some similarity with you. <laughs> uh, they were interested in Grameen and they were very inspired by Grameen America. They want to create Grameen Scotland. See, Grameen Scotland. <laughs> You're right. Uh, so we're talking about it. And in the discussion, one thing came out very strongly. Someone said, a faculty member said, look, we have a big problem in Glasgow, in the city of Glasgow. We have many families, thousands of families in Glasgow city who are in third generation unemployment. So I said, I'm shocked. I didn't expect that to hear third generation unemployment. I said, how does it happen? He said, because of the welfare system. So when you ask that question, uh, this is what uh, <laughs> led me to say. I said, if I were you, I'll be creating a social business to take 10 welfare people out of welfare. This is my social business. If I'm successful in doing that, I have discovered something fantastic. All we have to do is to repeat this now. If I could successfully take 10 people out of welfare, you can take 10 people out of welfare. We'll gradually take all people out of welfare because of the way it works. So it's a question of designing that social business. I know how to design it. That's no big problem. But somebody has to get in and say, let's do it. So I've, I'm now a challenge to do it in Glasgow. So I'll go there. I'm, July, I'm coming there. And we'll start the first phase of it, uh, how to address this issue 
create a social business. Any one of you can do that. Any one of you. You don't have to be a bright student, a vicar, nothing. Just a regular guy. It's no big deal. I said welfare is very important. Government does it to help people to uh, take care of themselves through the government support. I said that's the first part of the work. Second part of the work is to help them get out of welfare. That part was never done. And that's the challenge waiting for us to do. So let's try to do that. So this is one right away. And then you have drug addicts, street crimes, you name it. You can create a social business. We have beautiful idea of taking drug addicts out of drug in a social business. A very concrete example. We can do that. So it's a question of putting mind into it. Job creation. Unemployed. Why should anybody be unemployed? This is a silly thing to be unemployed. Because we can create employment. In a, in a profit-maximizing world, you create your business with the intention of making money. But it creates jobs. Creating job is a byproduct of that. In a social business, that becomes the objective of the business, not a byproduct. You can design social business specific to exactly the kind of people you want to find employment. Maybe disabled people. So I want to create a social business to take disabled people. Now also define the disabled people. Blind people. So I want to create jobs for blind people. Uh, this is my social business. Or deaf and dumb people. That's my social business. You can be very specific. In, in a profit making business you cannot be specific. It only creates kind of byproduct jobs. You have no control over it. Whatever you need, you need this, you need this, you need this. This is how it happens. And it's easy to create jobs in social business than in profit maximizing business. Because in profit maximizing business, you are expecting at least 30% return on your investment. Otherwise you will not invest. Why should you invest if there is no 30%? In social business, you can go from 0% to all the way to that 30% easily because nobody else is coming there. And you are not doing this for X percent of uh, return on your investment because you are not interested in return on your investment. You are exclusively interested in solving the problem. So you have a lot more room to create jobs than anybody will ever have. So this is the power of that idea of social business. Uh, man at the back in big time. With a big time, huh? Big time. <laughs> it's a red toy. Speak <laughs> 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 to me. <laughs> um, I'm actually I'm in the process of, of setting up something similar and so a social business whereby I get a lot of friends and contacts where I have over here, and we make a difference. But we go in places of poverty to go make a difference. And um, just just a question on on advice for setting it up and, and what what type of obstacles did you come across? Usual, not very. Uh, when you go, first of all, the problem may arise, you don't have the money. That could be a problem. I have a great, grand idea, but I don't have the money. This could be one. Another one, uh, you want to start in a particular area, people disbelieve you, people suspect you. They say, oh, you're a mafia, you're trying to do something. <laughs> a kind of distrust. Why should anybody run a business to not to make money? It's a big question. Because our minds are all filled with profit-maximizing idea. That's how we live. That's where we are taught in the classroom. In the classroom, there is no social business. So we are all wearing those profit-maximizing glasses and look at the world 
through the profit maximizing glasses. So when you talk about social business idea, you can't see it, you can't hear it anymore because it doesn't sound right. So I'm always pleading, please take off your uh, profit maximizing glasses and put on your social business glasses. You'll see the world completely differently. It's not simply delinking from profit. It's a whole new logic of its own comes up, emerges. So that's people who will have that kind of difficulty to begin with. Otherwise, it's a, uh, it's a creativity. You have you, your ideas, beginning ideas when you started out, doesn't turn out to be right. So you have to revise your ideas, your assumptions, your steps. It happens because one is a kind of a abstract idea, another is a real idea. Real thing overtakes. So you have to adjust with the reality and so on. But this is life, even if you go for profit maximizing business, that's the same thing can happen. So these are, as I, as I said, as usual. About the money, now many are coming forward, I shouldn't say many, some are coming forward to create social business funds. So that if you have a bright idea and come to the fund, they will check it out and say, okay, we'll invest in your company as a social business. We don't want to make money because we are a social business fund and your success is our success. And over years, you can pay us back so that we can use this money to fund another one. And uh, there are several coming up. One is coming up, uh, two is coming up in Europe, and two I see uh, now coming up in India, and one is coming up in the USA. So these are initial steps that we see uh, as a social business fund. So these in steps uh, could be an important step to uh, uh, provide that space. Some universities are creating social business institute and that includes a fund. So the students have, have an opportunity to use the social business fund to actually go and create that social business as a kind of practical demonstrations of, about their ideas and so on. Uh, after going through a competition of social business designs like for example if I'm giving a social business design here right now I say why don't you all design a social business to take, take 10 people, 10 welfare people out of welfare and have a competition. I'm sure brilliant ideas will come. We can pick the first three, first four, five, five and invest in it and see what happens. And that's all. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, man at the front, right at the end here, if you could bring the mic down. It's on its way. Mic's on its way. Just wait one sec. I can speak loud. <laughs> Thanks. Hi, Dr. Yunus. Um, just like to ask, um, with this fundamental change in the system that you mentioned, obviously places like this will need to bring bring this into the into the education. Sure. So yeah. I'd like to ask both of you, what can happen in terms of business schools beginning to adopt yeah. these ideas? Sure. And uh, that is happening because first business school, which created share on social business, was HSE in France. So they have now two and a half year old chair of social business. They hold lots of workshops, they offer courses, they bring French business people together. That's one reason why many French companies are working with us, because of the role they played, connecting people and connecting us and connecting anybody who would like to do that. Uh, as a result of that, we are now doing something in Haiti because I was very upset, or I'm not upset, I was feeling unhappy when Haiti earthquake happened. There's a tremendous outpouring of emotions. Everybody wants to help, everybody wants to support. And a lot of resources, finances, money came through. 
And I was feeling unhappy because I said, Haiti doesn't have a structure to handle this kind of thing. So most of it will be misused or even abused, gone into wrong directions. I said, I wish we could play a role in it by saying that please put 10% of this money that you are putting in into a social business fund so that you could create a series of social business in Haiti in job creation, in uh, training, in education, in um, transportation, whatever, in agriculture, in housing, in uh, forestry. It's a beautiful thing can be done as a social business. So people like, like that, love that. So immediately said, you create it, we'll support it. So we created it. And many of the people who were involved in HSC, they said, we'll support you, we'll start business with you in Haiti. So this is one, the connecting as a social business. And instead of giving money, why don't you do the business there as a social business? So that's one. Uh, European Business School has just launched a uh, chair on social business. University of South California, uh, State University of California in Channel Island, they created an institute of social business. And having all this fund and other ideas together, bringing business and so on. In Japan, two universities, Kyosho University and Rikyu University. Kyosho in Fukuoka, Rikyu in Tokyo. Now having the same social business group. Uh, so it's very important to get into the business, uh, into the academic world, because it's the young people who will really start seeing things very differently once you start discussing this, because they are looking for opportunities. They want to do things, but our scope, our framework doesn't give them a scope. All we can tell them, work hard, get a good degree from LSE, and get a good job. <laughs> and that's it. The changing the world part is not something built into the system. Here it is. I can use, I can use myself to change the world. It's possible. Yeah, my woman at the... Yeah. <laughs> woman at and the come back, to LSE uh, for that. That's what I'm saying. Woman at the back in the uh, headscarf at the back. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Yunus, for Thank that inspiring uh, talk and that challenge to all of us. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you, in terms of a social business, how do you balance out the tensions on the one hand of, of giving adequate remuneration to the people who work for it um, to perhaps you know, attract the right talents and, and to reward effort, but on the other hand, you know, to not take away from the business, the profits of the business that would obviously go back to reinvest in it? See, in the uh, recruitment world, both social business and profit-making business are uh, competing. If I need a, an accountant for my social business and uh, somebody else in a profit-making business needs an accountant, probably we cho chose the same person because he or she turned out with the right person. So we have to offer the right kind of uh, incentive for the person to accept the job. Uh, so there you have, you cannot say just because you're coming to social business, you, we can pay you half. We can't do that. Or just because you are in a, in a, working in a Grameen Danone factory, it's a social business, so you will pay you half. You can't do that. Actually, as a social business, your responsibility is to pay them better than others. Because that's also part of social business. That your staff should get better salary than anybody else. Because after all, you don't want, why the other companies squeeze your salary? Because they want to make money. We have no such drive. We have to share it with everybody. And there are seven principles of uh, social business. And the seventh principle is do it with joy. It has to be a fun thing. 
Social business is a real fun. You're ex you, it, it thrills you. The more you do it, the more you get excited about it. So you, that thrill should touch everybody, not just you who do on the top. Even the guy who sweeps the floor, he has to share that excitement and that I'm well taken care of at the same time I'm doing something for the society which nobody ever did before. Thank you. Then can I ask if you have any vacancies for lawyers in your social business? <laughs> <laughs> we'll create a social business for the lawyers. <laughs> perhaps, to, perhaps if you could create a business that would take 10 people out of being lawyers. Lawyers. <laughs> Uh, another man on the back row, yeah, with a blue shirt. It... Uh, thank you very much for your passion, Western. It sounds like you need a new pair of glasses, I think. <laughs> uh, but uh, joking apart, I'm, I'm curious. I sense from your talk, I think there are major institutional forces at play, vested interests, um, to keep things as just as the way they are. Um, I want to play the devil's advocate a little bit. If it's such a great thing as you champion tonight, why don't the IMF, the G20, G7 advocate this more? Shouldn't we all be doing this? Thank you very much. They will, they will do their part after we demonstrate that it worked, uh, but we should not be waiting for them to do first. We should be doing first because uh, uh, we don't have the bureaucracy, we don't have that uh, decision-making complications and so on and so forth. When uh, G8 declared, about a year and a half back, uh, G8 declared they will put $20 billion for food security because the food security is a big problem. So they allocated $20 billion at food security. So I wrote them all, the head of all the G8 leaders, uh, I wrote them, said, would you care to take 10% of this $20 billion, put it in a uh, social business fund for uh, food security? I have not got any response of it, but we have, no, we have been contacted, contacted the CACS, how to do that, what kind of, it will, it will be a new structure there. Governments are very afraid of new structures, because once you create them, it creates a big burden on them. So I said, no, it doesn't have to be a new structure. You can do it in the existing structure, but it should have an autonomous existence within the structure. It will be all used as a social business in food security. Because otherwise, this $20 billion will go in giving grants to uh, governments for agriculture. We have seen this before. It doesn't lead, lead us to anywhere. If we can create social business in that manner, it changes the whole paradigm of the agricultural situation in, in marketing, in production, and so on. In marketing, we have a, one interesting case. This is not related to G8, but since you asked the question, we were discussing uh, something, and, uh, and one problem came up: is the shea butter, which is used in cosmetics for uh, skin and so on. L'Oreal used that, uh, produces it. The shea nut out of which this butter is produced is produced in Ghana, and the producers get very little money for that. But by the time it comes to L'Oreal, the people who buy and all the middlemen they pay a very good sum of money. So we had a meeting in Paris with the CEO of L'Oreal. So somebody like HSC invited these groups of people. So I said, if we create a social business, would you buy from us this nut rather than buying from others? I said, yes, if it is competitive, it's uh, compared to others, we'll do this. That's all we want. So what we do, we create this social business, 
at the ground level in Ghana buy up all this, the price that we get from the L'Oreal to pass it on to them and minus the cost of this operation of this company, that's all. So that all the middlemen can be removed and we can bring all the money exactly to the producers themselves as a social business. So these are the kind of thing we wanted to discuss with them. And it's still is on, it's not disappeared. Uh, so this is G8. With the World Bank, we said, why don't you create a new window as a social business window, where anybody would like to create a social business, you can fund it and create it. And even out of 10 such efforts, if five of them failed and five of them successful, you got it made. Because now you can expand these things globally and it will solve the problem. And those five that failed for the first run may give you a second run. In the second run, three of them came out again. Because first failure doesn't mean the failure for life. It's simply first trial. Because after all, you are experimenting. You are doing it for the first time. So you don't expect everything to start flying right from the start. Thing doesn't happen that way. You keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, and then it works. And it flourishes. And this is what the chance we have to get. I'm going to say just a couple more. One uh, down here. Yeah, third row. Thank you very much, and uh, congratulations on the Nobel Prize and on everything that you've achieved. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that in looking at what you've done, listening to you speak here, there's one element we haven't mentioned, but which is a fundamental underpinning of the whole system, and that's the goodness of human nature. Because if you had, for example, in the Grameen Bank, 50% non-performing loans, the whole structure would collapse. But human nature isn't, it isn't that everybody is good. You do have your elements, people who uh, are going to look at your system, they're going to try to find the weakness, and they're going to say, this is where I'm going to take advantage of the system. How do you deal with people like that? We started with the premise, fundamentally all people are good we can trust them. The whole system is built on trust. We don't have papers. We don't take anybody to police or anybody to court. And we give billions of dollars in loans. It comes back. And I, I was mentioning that those who had all the papers, all the lawyers, they have the difficulty. We are not doing only in Bangladesh. People used to say in the beginning, oh, Bangladesh is a funny country, all kinds of things can happen. <laughs> But then it is spread. That argument disappeared very quickly. Then in the beginning they used to say, oh, it works because of the Asian culture. Because we are in Asia, all the others are in Asia. Then it started in the USA, back in 1987. Because Governor Bill Clinton, he was the governor of Arkansas, he brought me to help him set up Grameen program in Arkansas. Then they could not say this anymore because it's in the USA, rich country. Uh, so, still the same. When I discuss all these things about New York City, we follow exactly the same thing. When we started in, in our New York, this is very interesting, we sent three people from Bangladesh to go to USA to do that. Those who have been working with us for many years. They said, we've never been to USA before. How do we do our work? This is a different country. I said, that's why we are sending you there, because you've never been there. Because you're not biased. You just do exactly what you did in Bangladeshi village. Forget about other kind of people or something. People will tell you these are different. No people is different. People are same. They went, they built a beautiful program. 
so beautiful some filmmaker got interested in it now they made a film out of it they they call it to catch a dollar this is a quote from my speech i usually say poor people need a dollar to catch a dollar the first dollar is missing so the name of the film is to catch a dollar so i keep joking with these people i said look we have been doing it for 34 years nobody made a film out of it you are doing only th- not even 34 months you already have a film on you <laughs> a feature film which will be released in september this year you can see it <laughs> so uh, it's a goodness of this and we bet on that and it worked people become deviate from goodness when system pushed them into that direction so as long as you can keep a system which preserves your goodness you move and when i'm talk about social business again i'm coming back to the goodness of part of it i said that's what the economists missed out they forgot about the goodness of people they built on the selfishness of the people missed out this one i said if you had produced this one you see enormous amount of will and enormous amount of creativity would come flowed into this to change the world so i would say that the uh the uh, is the system which encourages you or discourages you to deviate from the goodness if you can maintain that i think you achieve a lot one last question woman in the black and right in the middle here thank you for coming to speak today dr yunus um i wanted to ask a microfinance related question a lot of uh MFIs in the Middle East have attempted to create Sharia compliance schemes to deliver finance to the poor. And given that a large proportion of your client base is Muslim and uh particularly in Bangladesh, I'm wondering if Grameen is moving in that direction to come up with a Sharia compliance scheme. I was hoping that Sharia compliance will include us too. Uh because all this I mean scholars tell us that you are perfectly islamic there's nothing wrong with you what you do their argument is very simple they said islam stood a, took a position against interest because it is an instrument of exploitation some guys have money they lend money and extract everything and that's our, our starting point we fight against the loan sharks who take this money out of the people uh so in your case you are different because the bank is owned by the borrowers so grameen bank is owned by the borrowers so no matter what you charge what you call them it cannot be an instrument of exploitation because there is no third party involved here nobody is taking away money from them so it is self contained as owners cannot exploit themselves so you are perfectly islamic even if you call it interest what you charge islam has nothing to do with it. islam is not hung up on the word islam is hung up on the idea of exploitation so you are good muslim uh, islamic bank whether sharia laws will come and say that okay we recognize you there's some that's their problem we find we have no contradiction in that so this is how it works out i'm going to ask you now to do two things one i'm going to ask you to just wait in your seats while the two of us go off because okay. professor yunus is going to sign books over in the atrium and the second thing i'm going to ask you to do is to join me in thanking him for coming today and a terrific <laughs>